We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining us for this episode is Carl Marius Axum, PhD candidate researching visual perception in football, elite football. So I think you're going to really, really enjoy this one. He's got a master's degree in coaching and psychology as well. He wrote his master thesis on visual perception in real football match play on Ajax players aged 14 through 20, where he received the highest possible grade. Also has a bachelor's degree in coaching, football coaching as well. Uh, unbelievable perspective. This is a topic that I was really excited to talk about and was even more excited when the conversation finished. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. Let me know what you think. At Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. This podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Heya. On Haya's free team management app, you can see exactly who reads information sent out. And unlike WhatsApp or group chats, you can organize training time, use a separate team calendar within the app that's easy for everyone to use, meaning all important dates and time don't get lost in that buzzing group chat. Surprisingly, Haya is actually free to use for the whole team, so I'd recommend you download it now, go and save yourself some time, get your team better organized and all together for this coming season. Highly recommend you ch- trying out Haya's free team management app. You can search your app store for Haya, that's spelled H-E-J-A, or just click the link in the show notes, or go to the video here on modernsoccercoach.com. If you're on ModernSoccerCoach.com, there's also more articles, webinars, free content that we've put up in recent weeks. One of the only, if not the only coaching site that's all free without a paywall. But if you enjoy the content and you enjoy the podcast and the webinars and you want them to keep coming, you can support Modern Soccer Coach by ordering books or the webinar package from 2020 that we did during the lockdown. Some great stuff on that and great presentations that can be yours to keep. So here is Carl, enjoy. Carl, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Super, super excited to chat to you. Thank you so much, Gary, glad to be here. I'm really excited about chatting. It's a topic that I'm sure every coach will be agreeing with and nodding their head. It's one of those things that's in this space where we understand the importance of it, but we don't understand how to improve it, measure it, uh, get a bit more detail in it. So that's that's the goal today. So let's kick off with just this this broad topic of visual exploration in football. Very unique, very highly specialized area. How did you move into this direction of the game? Yeah, so I, I think it started when I was playing. So I didn't reach the level I wanted to, but I reached the second division in Norway. So it's equivalent with League One in England. Um, and I was a striker. So I was a goal getter. Uh, my position was in the box. But then I wanted to transform to a central midfielder. But I found that transition to be almost impossible. And mainly because 
I have no idea when the opponent was coming. So I was blindsided all the time. They came from every direction and I had no time on the ball. And I didn't understand why. Why did I perform so badly in there centrally compared to when I was on, in front as a striker? So that's, uh, that's my experience with it. And then I moved uh, to the capital in Norway and started my coach uh, bachelor, uh, bachelor degree in uh, football coaching at the Norwegian School of Sports Sciences, which, where I'm still at. And um, that's where I was introduced uh, to this topic from um, my supervisor now at my doctoral, uh, Gave Jure, who is the, the godfather of the scanning. He was the first who investigated this topic systematically. Uh, and at the same time, I started working uh, coaching for a private uh, player development firm who uh, had scanning incorporated in their training in the youngest players. So as low as eight, nine-year-olds, they did scanning all the time, even in non-contextual exercises like just dribbling the ball, one ball each, dribbling the ball. And they were asked to look to the right, to the left, to see colors, to count fingers holding up in the air. Uh, so they they had this emphasis on this before I even knew why and why they did it. So so from my, from my playing career, I never heard a coach talking about this. We were always told to, you have to look up when you have the ball. When you have the ball, you have to look up. We were never told to scan. Some coaches might have said, okay, check your shoulder, uh, look around but never anything systematically um, at all. So that's how I was introduced to this. Uh, so about 10 years ago, I would say. Fascinating. Uh, really, really interesting. You, you wrote your, uh, just doing the research here, you wrote a master's, your master's thesis on visual perception in real match, which was Ajax players ages 14 to 20. So can you share a little bit about the outcome of that? And then what was it about the players that kind of stood out and progressed? Mm. Yeah, we had an exciting opportunity there. We had a contract with Ajax to, uh, they sent some matches filmed in 4K to us. So we can go and look at players at all levels. So the 14-year-old, the 15-year-old and up to 20. So we could screen a lot of players. I think we have a, approximately 50 players that we screened in scanning and then we looked at uh, only when the player received the ball from a pass and then we counted the 10 seconds before they received the ball from a pass and then we have this scanning frequency which we talk a lot about so the frequency before they receive the ball so we call it attacking scans and what we saw was that even the youngest players in ajax the 14 year olds had high scanning rates very high scan frequencies. So we find, found that at the 14-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 16-year-old was quite similar throughout. Uh, and then we found it was the first investigation of differences in playing position. So we found that center backs and central midfielders uh, had the highest scan rates and uh, significantly higher than the three other positions, which we classified as wingers, fullbacks, and striker. So we, we classify, we put players in the, those five positions. Of course, an attacking midfielder has a different role than a central and a defensive midfielder, but we had to, 
we had to make some choices there. Uh, furthermore, we found that uh, higher pass completion rates were associated with higher scanning frequencies. So significant findings throughout. Uh, and that the two biggest contextual, um, what you call it, contextual uh, limitations to scanning, it's opponent pressure distance. So it's how close the opponent, nearest opponent is when you receive the ball and where on the pitch you are situated when you receive the ball. So uh, the closer the opponent is pressing, the less the player is scanning. And the more central you're positioned, the more you're scanning. Were those players, when, when I ask, so I'm, obviously I actually working alongside you with this here, are they, are they focusing on this? Are they working on this as they're giving you the information? They, so I think Geir, Geir Jure, he, were, he was there and had some presentations and uh, they were very interested in this. And we sent them the numbers afterwards. Uh, and I can't go into specific players, but you can you can imagine which players we screened at a very young age. So it's very interesting numbers. Uh, so we know that Ajax was very, very interested in this. And uh, I believe they incorporated this uh, at the youngest. Yeah. So so I can't name players, but you you can imagine uh, if you're thinking about the superstars today. Mm -hmm. So what's What's exciting was that um, not all of those were at the top of their scan in scanning according to their position, but they were always in the top three. So, for example, we screened seven right wingers, seven, uh, ten center backs, uh, eight central midfielders. They were the ones you know about today who's playing at the top, top level. They were always in the top three uh, in each position. You use the term eye fixings in your work and research. And how is that different from, you talk about contextualizing, how, how is that different from counting? So a player who is maybe just looking 20 times, what, what are eye fixings and, and how does that give you more accuracy to see what they're looking at? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's uh, almost, it's uh, fixations. So fixations. And... It's very different. So a scan, as we measure it, is every head movement away from the ball, um, intentional head movement away from the ball to gather information from somewhere else. That's how we count the scan. So we count one scan as looking there and back towards the ball. That's one scan. Uh, fixations, that's uh, gaze behavior. So that's the eye looking at something long enough to see details with our foveal vision. And our foveal vision is not big. It's like looking at your uh, thumbnail and arm length away. That's how much details we can get from our vision. So it's approximately 1.5 degrees where we can see details. So in my one article, when we use these eye trackers, that's what we looked at. We looked solely on fixations because we can call that a measurement of attention of the players. So, so it's quite different. So scanning is something we can do by only uh, watching the videos of the game. But fixations, we can only um, count if we have this eye-tracking equipment. One, you talked about different positions. I found this really, really interesting. I mean, you mentioned about strikers having the lowest scan. And 
to go back to your point about the, the more under pressure they are, then the, the less they're probably likely to scan is what you said. So I understand that the pitch, what, where this fascinates me is, is I would have, I would have thought scanning was associated with technique. I always think that the, as you progress higher up the pitch, the, the technique levels improve or, or increase. Um, do you think that that's then an issue? Do, like, does that surprise you at all that strikers, because they're, you know, is that not more important that they're trying to create half a yard or inside the box or in the build-up? So uh, these numbers for strikers are what we have done. We have the IX numbers. We have the under 17, under 19 European Championship finals. We have uh, this Premier League club, which I can't name, but if you look at the article, you will you will understand the club very quickly. Uh, and we find exact the same numbers for strikers. So in Premier League, it's 0 0.28 scans per second, and then it's 0 0.27 and 0 0.30. It's exact the same numbers, and they're always at the bottom of uh, all positions. And this is very interesting. And for me, it's two main reasons. One is the opponent pressure is so close when they receive the ball and in the seconds before they receive the ball. So now we're talking about the classic striker who is, who is trying to break through the last line of defense, who is, uh, who is fighting with the central defender. So these players cannot watch uh, others' um, areas of the game. They need to focus on the ball because if they lose track of the ball in a split second or at the wrong time, then the defender will cut the, the ball out and you will miss a chance. Or The same is when you're playing uh, very high up the pitch, you're near a scoring position. Uh, you're not scanning anymore to see where the other players are, who you are playing to. You're only focused on getting the ball in the goal. So you, you use your body more, you use your peripheral vision more to control your defenders. You're not looking, okay, if I receive the ball now, where is my left winger? You don't care. So that's the difference. That's why we see much lower. But then it's very interesting because we have two exceptions. We have two strikers who scan extremely high, like 0 0.6 over 0 0.5 scans per second. Pretty well-known players, uh, Kylian Mbappé and Erling Haaland. Mm. So those players, for me, two of the most exciting strikers in the world right now, uh, they have very, very high scan rates, scan frequencies. So they, yeah, it's... Uh, well, that's, that's where I, again, that, that surprised me because before you net mentioned those two players, the type of player I think about, I watched uh, one of this Gary Neville soccer box episodes a couple of weeks ago and it was Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane is given an insight and uh, you see his greatest goals, you go through some of his biggest games and... And you can just, like, from a coaching, it's just an appreciation of he, he lacks pace to get away, so he has to create. So it's like almost like a Zola-type player where it's, I would have thought those players, but Mbappe and Haaland, that, those are, like, they're pure athletes as well. Maybe that's what makes them so good. Yes, because I, I believe if you have this player, like a target player, he's not scanning. So we know that we've seen a lot of these target players. They have extremely low scan frequencies. So they're standing there, they're waiting for the ball, they're, they're fighting with the defender, and they're laying the ball back 
and then they go into the box where all the focus is on getting in the right position in front of the defender to score a goal. So, but you see Holland, he's okay. His first run didn't work. Okay. Now he's scanning again. He's scanning again. Where's the, uh, where's the new space? Where's the best space for me now? And he goes in another position and then that's close. So he has this uh, ability. I actually uh, found, found the video from the under uh, 19 championship in 2018. He was 17 years old at that time. And at one sequence, he scanned seven times in six seconds. So we had this ability very, very early on. Uh, and for me, it's a huge benefit. It's a huge benefit. The more you know about your surroundings when you receive the ball, uh, the more chance you have to make the best decision, the best execution. That's my belief. Yeah, another thing just on that that, that I learned and kind of it shaped my mind a little bit because I was thinking in a, in a different way. You, you are quoted as... After each pass, a player must scan. And, and again, I don't think about that because I'm probably so ingrained to think about scanning before receiving. But you're saying then that it's almost just as important to look after you pass the ball as well? That statement referred to all other players than the one who passed the ball. So, so uh, yeah. It referred to all other players, but it actually refers to every player. So we have this, uh, I can talk about it later when we're talking about um, some, uh, youth coaching practice. But uh, so every time you pass the ball, right after you've seen the information from the ball, you know where it's headed. That's a perfect time to look away from the ball. But you need the information first. So if you're looking away at the exact moment a player is passing, then you have no chance to turn back. Then you don't know where the ball is. So that's that's a mistake we see at the top, top, top level. Players who look away when they're passed to, and then they have no chance of getting in the right body position uh, when they receive the ball. So uh, we have found this universal truth to when players should scan the timing and it's all about what's happening with the ball it's all about what's happening with the ball brilliant brilliant okay let's move now into how do we apply and take this and and try to change and manipulate our own environments i mean what what's the starting point for a coach who wants to go about improving coaching visual perception at, at the youth level so, uh, based on my research, so I've finished my doctoral uh, thesis uh, one week ago today, actually. So based on, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So, based on this, we have this optimal scanning strategy, which coaches should know about first. So, that's first, look at the ball every time it's touched. You have to look at the ball every time it's touched or you're missing this important information. So then you don't know what's happening next if you don't look at the ball when it's touched. Other than that, you need to scan for information away from the ball immediately after every touch. That's number two. So after every receiving touch, after every dribbling touch, if it's not like messy, <laughs> messy dribbling touches, you should scan away from the ball to look for information. And third, you should scan frequently and as close to receiving touch as possible. 
So if you have this long pass who's with a duration of two seconds, we know that the best players are able to scan three times, maybe four times during that pass. And then we see the best are able to do their last scan very, very close to the receiving moment. Um, and then some guidelines for me, uh, it's number one, it needs to be position specific. So we, we've talked about it, but uh, a central midfielder has this information 360 degrees uh, in every direction. He needs to scan a lot and he needs to scan in every direction. So it's a completely different reality, for example, for a dribbling right winger whose job is to stay on the touchline and just deliver crosses or combine and deliver crosses, who only needs to scan maybe 180 degrees inwards. So it needs to be position specific. You can't have this decontextualized scanning exercise who works for many uh, positions. Um, number two, it needs to have some decision making. So it's very important that decision-making when you're teaching scanning is informed by the perception. So every scan should inform a decision. So for me, a football action is perceive, decide, execute. Perceive, decide, execute. And you need to have this link if you're, if you're actually wanting to coach uh, visual perception in football. So number three, it needs to include the execution. We're talking about the decision-making need to be there and the execution also needs to be there. And it has to be a relevant execution. So one exercise where you're, okay, you're decontextualizing, but you're still doing the correct thing is very easy. You can be one coach, two players, one coach can pass you the ball. You're scanning to see if the player is to the left. Okay, then you turn to the right. Or if the player moves to the right, okay, then you turn to the left. And then you work on the timing. That's the easiest way you can do it. That's the easiest way you can do it. Uh, or you can, okay, he's moving to the left. That means I have to position my body that way, receive with the furthest foot, play to that player. So that's, that's the starting point, okay? I don't like to decontextualize as much as that, but that's a, that's a way we can do it. Nine-year-olds can do it. Eight-year-olds can do it. Ten-year-olds can do it. Three together. Um, and then it has to be some sort of movement. You have to scan for some sort of movement. So one of the most interesting findings I have found is that in a scan, you don't have fixations. So only 2% of all scans include fixations, which means, in practice, this means that when you scan, you're not seeing details. You're not able to read the logo on the chest of the player. So what you're seeing is movement. You see the colors. You're, so you're able to see if it's your teammate or his opponent. You're able to see the direction he's running. But a scan is so quick. 90% of scans is 66 uh, centiseconds or less. So 0 0.6 seconds or less. 90% of all scans. So it's very, very quick. And so you can only see movements, colors, space. So we need to teach. So we can't hold these fingers up, which I did very much a couple of years ago. We can't do that. We can't use numbers. Well, okay, here's a two, here's a three, holding them up, uh, asking them to fixate on this. That's not how you scan in a match. So you don't have the time to look at details. Um, number five, yeah, sorry. 
sorry, I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I'm, I'm no, just going to ask this question. Carla, is it, can you improve fixations? Like, can you get better at that? Or are we limited just by our body or our, our eyesight? Uh, if you look, if you scan for a longer duration, you will have fixations. So if you stop your scan and you look for for just so a fixation for us, we we put a hundred and twenty millisecond threshold. So it's uh, yeah, it, you have to look at something for that amount of time still uh, to have a fixation. But for, uh, we see that players should not fixate during scanning. It's not uh, they don't need to because they get sufficient information from the movement and the colors to inform their decision. So that's that's my interpretation of it. So I want players to scan as fast as possible, but still be able to see the players, to see the space, to see uh, the direction of the runs and everything. So if you're able to do that as quickly as possible, then you're sooner back to the ball. You have this control of your surroundings and you're able to do another scan. So you're able to increase your scanning frequency, which would be better than having more long scans where you lose sight of the ball for a long period of time. That would not be beneficial. Uh, yeah, and then one of the most important things is you have to have some action undertaken with the ball. So yeah, the ball informs as I, as I told you about, okay, after the, every touch, after every pass you scan. So we need to have this pass to the player or a touch that they're scanning, um, that informs their scanning, that needs to be there. And then it's the timing and the ability to, to do the last scan before they receive the ball close to the receiving moment. Uh, that's something we need to work on. So we see that the best players, every one of them, are able to do their last scan in the last second before they receive the ball when the pass is on the way. Yeah. So that's uh, that's some of the guidelines that coaches need. Um, yeah. Soccer coaches, a new season is upon us, and you know what that means: organizing, registering, scheduling, and of course communicating with 20, 30, and maybe even 40 of your players, your coaches, your parents, your managers, and the volunteers in your club. It's a lot of work, but don't worry. There is help at hand, and that comes in the form of one of the best team management apps around for youth teams. That app is Haya. Using the Haya app will free up more coaching time so you can spend that time where it really matters, helping your players develop, and helping your athletes and your people be the best versions that they can be. I've known Haya for a number of years. They've appeared on the podcast. I'd strongly recommend that you at least go and give their app a try and pass it on to another coach who could benefit from saving the time on team administrations this season. It's free to download in the Haya app as well as for your team to use. Just follow the link in the notes below or you can simply type in Heya, H-E-J-A, directly into the App Store right now. Thanks so much to Heya for all the support. Thanks so much for supporting our sponsors. We couldn't make the podcast work without us. Thank you. Uh, there's a chapter in uh, Ben Littleton's book, The Edge, and I've read this recently. I loved it. Uh, Geyer Jordet, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He talks about Frank Lampard and... It's a great little story about Lamp. You know, we've all seen the clip of him checking so many times, and 
he's gone into like all right he, he, someone's gone and asked him and he, he just said he was born with it and then he sits on a with a Tony Carr at West Ham and they kind of go back and then realize that it was his father shouting pictures which I, I love because I would be you know there's a bit of like old-fashioned coaching in that there as well can, can a coach because I know there's going to be some coaches there that would be thinking well I could just shout this I mean how how is that outdated now or is there just better ways or does that still have a place when we're talking about Frank Lampard, that's very interesting because Gaze did this uh, massive study in 2013. It was not published, but he presented it, uh, where he looked at 113 Premier League players. 113. And the two players who had the highest scan frequency was Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard. That was the two. They had a 0 0.6 average scan frequency, which was very high uh, at that time. So, so uh, Frank Lampard was fantastic in this. He had great timing. He had high frequency. And of course, he's learned this at a very, very young age. So for me, uh, as a coach, in the start, when you're learning this, to teach them that uh, for, after every touch, okay, shout out, scan, scan. I see no problems with it. But as coaches, we want the players to develop this behavior themselves uh we can't be there always so we this self-organizing i believe in that very much and guided discovery and everything so uh verbal instructions of course are okay but not too much not too much we want the players to adapt this behavior themselves so for me it's better to to make a session design where you have this perceptual overload for example with many different colors uh, playing or this perception square which I've been using where you where you see a color and then you turn towards that color things like that and guided questions that's for me preferable so for example um, you can ask a player what movement did Marcus make before you received the ball for example okay so close your eyes what movement did the right winger do now before you received the ball so you you try to always be on them have you seen that run have you seen that player if they make a, a bad decision uh, did you see the best decision uh, i think that working together with them asking them insightful questions and even better watching with them on video looking at their timing looking at their decision making did you see this player uh, for me, that's the best. Which player behind you has the most space? So you're, you're blowing your whistle, you're asking them to stand, and uh, you're asking, okay, where is that player? Is that player moving? Is that player making a run? How close to your nearest opponent are you now? So awareness, everything is about awareness. So, yeah. Just go back there to mentioned with Lampard, who, who's one of my favourite players, I have to say, the, the timing, and you mentioned, and obviously, like, he's made a, everyone, like, arriving at this right place at the right time and his goals and all that good stuff. But when it goes to awareness and scanning and timing, how does a player who, you talked about the forward before, who checks just too late and who maybe scans at the wrong time, how do you go about fixing that? Mm. So... Uh, as I said, the best players in the world are able to scan right before they receive the ball. So they can they can scan 
when the ball is just at their foot, they're, they're looking up. So they have this technique to do it that way. Um, and we see that issue you're talking about. We see that mostly when they're starting to learn this. So when young players are starting to learn this, we see that they're just turning their heads a lot, but they're not seeing, they're not informing any decisions and they're looking away at the wrong time. So then you have to take a step back and you have to, okay, we have to give them more time to scan. We have to give them more time to scan. So instead of you having this one second uh, to scan, okay, we give them two seconds so that they have time to scan and they have time to adjust their body position and they have time to receive with the furthest foot. So you have to take a step back because if you're scanning and everything else becomes wrong, so if you're missing, if the body position becomes wrong and you're receiving with the wrong foot all the time, then there's no point of scanning. So what I say to players is if you don't believe you have enough time now to look away from the ball, okay, then you receive the ball correctly, but you can't turn because you don't know what's behind you. So what you do then, you pass the ball back at one touch, for example. So uh, if you don't know what's behind your back, pass it back uh, back to the passer. That's uh, that's a rule I have. And then they're, they're starting to develop this. And when they have more time, they're attempting to scan. And then it's getting it. It's becoming an integrated part of this whole passing receiving um, cycle. Another thing I found very interesting when I was doing the reading was as coaches, we are led to believe that smaller spaces, especially at youth level, uh, more touches, more decisions, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you argue that sometimes the smaller spaces decontextualize 11 v 11 and 4 v 2, which is everyone's favorite rondo these days. You, you would argue that that there does not improve this uh, scanning. There's an uh, unpublished work from the Netherlands who looked at uh, different training exercises and they measured how much scanning was in different training exercises. So nothing could compare with an actual game. So the highest scan frequency we found in the game, the second highest was found in a positional tactical exercise and then so on. So the lowest of all was the 4v1 and 4v2 rondo. There were no scanning. There were no scanning in a 4v2, 4v1 rondo. So even an unopposed passing exercise where you pass from A to B had higher scanning rates <laughs> than the rondo. <laughs> so, and this is natural because when you play in this 4v2 rondo, okay, I've used it a lot. Every coach used it a lot, but you only need to use your peripheral vision. So you know where the player to the right is, you know where the player to the left is, you know where the player is in front of you, nothing is changing. So I'm not saying get rid of the rondo. I'm saying that you should beware as a coach that every pass you make is in a rondo is different than what you would do in a match where you always would scan before you receive the ball and after you receive the ball. So coaches should know about it. They should reflect on it because it's different. So then if you're only doing these small rondos, then you're practicing more passing in a different way than you do in a match. Then you're actually practicing passes as you would do in a match. So, yeah. 
on the training techniques, I was this is I was really looking forward to asking you this here. Um, Mar- Marcelo Bielsa's techniques, where he does a lot of unopposed work, choreographed types movement. I know you you've spoke a little bit about this. What's your thoughts on maybe what makes him different, or uh, how he still incorporates scan and understanding all those all those aspects? Uh, for me, as a coach, Marcelo Bielsa is maybe number one with Pep Guardiola, um, with his ideas and innovative thinking and the way of playing and everything. But for me, it's very interesting the way he trains. So my, I don't know this. I don't know everything he does in training. But I've seen what you're referring to, this isolated work. But we should know that when he does isolated work, it's always in the position of the player. So I have seen this, okay, they're, they're working on this passing pattern, but it's always the right winger in the exact position where he would be in a match. And it's always the central midfielder in this exact position he would be in the match. So the distances with the passes, um, and if they're scanning, then the scanning, it would be the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, you're missing you're missing the decision making, and you're missing the opponent and the interpretation of space, which is extremely important in this. But what he also does is he plays a lot of eleven versus eleven, probably more than most coaches at that level, who prefer to play maybe eight versus eight, nine versus nine. Uh, so he he's very extreme. So he doesn't do anything in between. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he does a lot of uh, five versus five plus two positional possession exercise. I think he's 11 versus 11 or an opposed, very position-specific training. So he's um, so he's getting this perceptual training in the 11 versus 11, and he's doing the isolated work where it should be be doing be doing it in the right positions. So that's my interpretation of it. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Let's go now to the like the, uh, putting it into your environment. And like, how would you go about uh, advising a coach or, I suppose, suggesting ways that coaches could? Uh, how do we, without having the ability to measure it, can we measure it subjectively? Can we, you know, how do we look at a game and say, you know, center midfielder Steve or Sarah? They didn't. They didn't scan enough. What's your advice on that? I would say, uh, look at videos. Use videos together with the players. It's very easy to look at this objectively. So you can look. You look at the timing. You can see if he's able to scan close enough to the receiving moment. You can make the player look at his ball involvements, his receiving moments, go back and see how is your frequency, compare them that with the best. Um, yeah, that's the best way. Make the players aware of this, the importance of it. Uh, show clips of the best players in the world. So every time, ask a player, ask a right winger to look at the best right winger in the next game. How is he scanning? before he receives the ball. Ask a central midfielder to look at Sergio Busquets or Phil Foden, who is scanning extremely high. Okay, how, how are they doing it? When are they scanning? So give them a picture of 
how is this important why is this important and just talk about it a lot uh, so for me i'm i'm surprised that there are no scanning experts uh, position in the big clubs so you see clubs like brentford who has sleeping experts they have throw-in experts um, I'm, I'm surprised that this hasn't reached that level yet that they're hiring scanning experts because we see that it's so important and it's just one thing who might have a big difference in performance yeah what would you say to a coach who would say all right well yeah, they need to improve scanning, but they're, I mean, sometimes the compartmentalization that coaches have with the game, yeah, they need to improve scanning, but, you know, his or her technique is so bad that it's going to bounce off anyway. What would you say to those coaches? Uh, my supervisor, Gay, always used to say, when do you teach, when do you teach your players to look right and left before you cross the street? <laughs> so that's the same with scanning. You had, you, you're teaching this, in the match environment uh, with an opponent with a teammate even with players with low technique you can do this very easy you can play two versus one you can play two versus two you can make it as easy as possible but you're i see no um benefit of waiting to introduce this concept because it makes everything else so much easier so a player who is who has this from an early age should does this automatically he has, he he will feel like he has all the time in the world when he when he does this automatically and he knows. Okay, I have five meters now instead of receiving the ball and then looking around. Okay, he's three meters away and panic. So introduce this early, make it a part of every exercise. That's uh, and yeah, and talk to the player. I, I don't think you should. You should never, okay, he's, he has a bad technique. Okay, then I need to work on only his, his hitting against the wall. That's not how I believe scale acquisition, scale adaptation is. No. So, and I know coaches love these small-sided games. I do that myself. But again, you should know that if you limit the space very much, which, which we see in Norway now is a big problem because we have limited... Um, so... You can only use maybe a half of a pitch, for example, a third of a pitch. And you, you want to have a lot of repetition. You want to have a lot of decision-making. So you're making the pitch smaller. What you're missing then is the far scans. And that's what we see now. Um, I actually discussed it with uh, Martin Odegaard, uh, the Norwegian player, who is uh, very, very good at scanning, who's worked on this since he was a little kid. But what I see now is that he's only scanning the near space. So he's, he's, he's stopped scanning the far space. So we stopped doing the more inventive passes. And I, and I fear that we we're, by only playing on small surfaces, we only adapt this small scanning. So we don't see the dangerous run, uh, the 40 meter pass, the 30 meter pass. We don't see that. We only see the nearby solutions in the, you can call it a mutual help zone or something like that. So, so don't decontextualize too much. If you're moving to small-sided games, okay, maybe you do the right side in a build-up against the, the left side of your team pressing, for example. 
So you're playing, you make a 10 versus 10 to a five versus five, but you keep them in the, in the right positions and uh, you're getting a lot of more decision-making, a lot more ball involvement, but perceptual reality would be the same. That's, um, that's my advice and that's my hope for coaches that we, we don't decontextualize, we don't isolate the training, we, we work on decision-making in everything we do. Yeah, it's, uh, again, interesting topic. Like, I, I argue uh, with a few coaches that I think the Rondo generation that we're currently producing, with, which is 4v2, 3v3, and we're in love of this type of game, I look at, and I'm a bit of a dork when it comes to the history of the game, but when I, I can't, sometimes I can't help myself by going on YouTube and watching if it's Beckham and he opens up and he goes big and you're thinking, oh, are we taking almost, yeah, we're losing the physicality, players are becoming faster, stronger, etc. but there's less challenges, there's less longer balls, less players can shoot from distance, less players can cross on the run. Um, are we in danger almost of, of taking away different aspects if we improve on just one? I, I don't know. It's interesting. I think we're the, the Paul Scholes, the Tony Cruz. I think we're, we're in danger of missing those type of players. So we get these players who are fantastic at uh, maneuvering tight, tight spaces, fantastic in this one touch, quick combinations. But uh, if you never work on those distances and those passing distances, you can't be, you can't get the timing right. You won't get it uh, right. So I fear that we get less of those type of players. Yes. Okay. Last one for you. Virtual reality. Are we moving in that direction? I've been involved with some projects about that. I've been talking to a lot of big European clubs who use this. Uh, and my supervisor has a company who produces this. And I've tried it myself. So uh, this one company has these classes where you put in an actual Champions League situation. And then you get judged on your scanning. So you get an immediate score on your scanning how many players you saw, uh, how quick you were and everything. And I have to say, uh, it's very, very fun. It's very, very fun. And it has to, if a player is injured, uh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. I believe you can get faster, uh, more rapidly back to your, let us say, cognitive speed when you're back physically, if you do that. Is it better than doing it on the pitch no because you're missing some aspects you're missing what is happening to the ball it is not natural you're not getting the information from the ball in the same way sorry but the graphic is not good enough so you're, you're missing a lot but it's very interesting and i know this one club i'm not gonna name it but it's a champions league club who uh, has developed situations so they play these situations in the game and then the next day these situations are created in the virtual reality so the same player can look at the situation and go through it again and again and again and again the exact same situation that he missed in the match and then we're talking about okay this could really help the player this could really develop decision making without any physical load so of course you can get more training um, and then the big question is, is it transferable? We still don't know. 
Carl, unbelievable. Uh, uh, this has absolutely flown. I feel like we just started chatting. Um, <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love to talk about this. And um, yeah, hopefully some coaches can have benefits. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.